What's up, what's up, what's up? Welcome to GMs for Hire. This is our new podcast where a bunch of kids who have never been hired by any sports organization think we can make the big time calls. And uh, we're going to start with that today. We're going to take a look back and do a team recap on a, a look back at a team that would have potentially been one of the most dangerous dynasties in the history of sports, um, according to a lot of people. And that is the 2016 Miami Marlins. And fellas, at the beginning of the season, this team was looking phenomenal on their MLB roster when it came to the side of hitting. And they were an absolutely stacked lineup. Um, a little question marks about the pitching, but at the time they had Jose Fernandez, which could dominantly be, or which could undoubtedly be one of the most dominant starting pitchers in today's game, if he was still with us. Um, Matt Perry, take us a little bit through uh, the Marlins lineup. Uh, so the 2016 Marlins had quite the lineup, at least looking back on it today. Um, you had a 25-year-old JT Realmuto behind the plate, a 28-year-old Justin Bohr, um, who was real big on power. You had at second base D. Gordon, only 28 at the time. Uh, he stole at least 30 bases that season. Uh, at shortstop, you have a Danny Echevarria, um, well-known, uh, great with the glove. Third base, you have um, contact legend Martin Prado. And then left, center, and right, you have one of the best outfield outfields of recent memory, consisting of Christian Yelich, Marcelo Zuna, and Giancarlo Stanton. It's an absolute bomb squad whenever you look from top to bottom. I mean, whenever you mention that there are modern-day greats in the game right now, JT Real Muto is arguably one of the best catchers in the game. Um, as you mentioned, the scariest outfield probably in the history of of baseball with Ozuna, Yelich, and Stanton. Absolute bomb squad out there. Um, and not too bad of an infield as well. And then uh, the pitching thing, uh, on the pitching side of things, I already mentioned Jose Fernandez. Um, but they also had a couple of prospects in their system. Jamil, um, I know that there are a couple of modern day, at least in 2020, some of, um, you know, a couple aces in, in the hole that are in the Miami organization at the time of 2016. Oh, yeah, most definitely. You look at the Cincinnati Reds, flamethrower Luis Castillo you look at the San Diego Padres and Chris Paddock the sheriff um those are two dominating pitchers two of the better young pitchers in the league right now and if you could put those two pitchers alongside Jose Fernandez you're looking at one of the best one two three punches in Major League Baseball potential history especially in 2020 that would be easily one of the best rotations in the league there are definitely a couple of three-headed monsters throughout the league there with the well, the first one that comes to mind just off the top of my head is Washington Nationals with Scherzer, Strasburg, Corbin. Um, phenomenal one, two, three punch. But as you mentioned, with with those three guys all in one rotation, you have to be fearing, you know, as a hitter. You you cannot go up to the bat, uh, up to and at bat confidently. There's absolutely no chance. Um, but a lot of people, I've seen a lot of videos and I've seen a lot of things around the um, around the Internet that a lot of people talk about what could have been. Because we talk about this roster, and as I'm looking at it, right, just from looking at it, um, I we had we came up with a couple hypotheticals as well, such as a third base prospect at the time, Brian Anderson, who's still currently with the team. He's absolutely um, miles ahead of the rest of the Miami Marlins lineup, doing a phenomenal job hitting. And then there is Jose Arena, who's going to come in as a pitcher, and um, at the time, Tom Collier uh, would wrap out that pitching rotation. But as I'm looking at it, just from the names that we've mentioned, from their starting lineup to their starting five for the rotation, there is only two remaining players 
that are still on this hypothetical lineup that are still on the Miami Marlins today, and that's Brian Anderson and Jose Arena, who is currently the considered ace of that staff in Miami, um, even though he may have done a little bit of a bullpen stint last year. But nonetheless, um, that that is the team that's left. There's, you know, Real Muto's gone, Yelich is gone, Ozuna, Stanton, D. Gordon, Justin Bohr, Danny Echevarria, Castillo, Paddock, they're all gone. Um, some for better, some for worse. Um, and I think you could arguably say worse. But a lot of people say what could have been with the Miami Marlins. And that's kind of what we're all here for today is we're here to talk about what exactly the Miami Marlins would have actually been capable of. Because we have a couple people who are on the one side saying that the Miami Marlins could have been the one, one, of, one of the most dangerous dynasties in the history of the MLB. And then we also have the other side of the coin in which we may not agree with that due to a substantial amount of reasons. So, Matt Perry, I want to go to you first. Whenever you're looking at this lineup and this potential pitching rotation of what could have been in 2020, hypothetically, Jose Fernandez doesn't get on the boat, uh, that there's no trade for Dan Straley, there's no trade for anything. This is the lineup we have, we have put together, that is actually could be a potential lineup in 2016 um, moving forward. What do you see from this team? I see tons and tons of potential. Um, if it was in 2020 with the lineup like this, um, you have Jose Fernandez in his prime. You have Paddock and Castillo, who are still growing as players, but arguably had their breakout seasons in um, 2019, and better stats are coming um, for future seasons. But uh, the pitching staff would look a lot better than it did in 2016. You had quite a few guys that struggled. Uh, Wee and Chen, um, Justin Nicolino, Tom Kohler was not at his best. Uh, Jose Fernandez kind of carried that pitching staff. But with the hypothetical that we're presenting today, um, I feel like uh, Castillo and Paddock could contend with the ace spot that Jose Fernandez once held. Um, and it would be one of the best rotations in baseball just with those three alone. And so it's it's definitely not an offensive problem. The offense was starting to come a little bit together in Miami already with this core group. Um, and then to add those two lights out pitchers um, who are just coming up and only getting better. Um, I, I, I can't imagine where that lineup, you know, it, it does have a couple of holes maybe throughout the bullpen. That team did have a little bit of a, a little sketchy bullpen. But and the four fives aren't the best, but I think a lot of teams would take a pitcher like such as Jose Arena to be your four. Um, I mean, I don't think you can complain too much with that. Um, but Jamil, whenever we're talking about this, um, you know, Matt, Matt makes a great point. This this team is loaded. This team is obviously um, if you look today in 2020, knowing what the Miami Marlins, uh, if, if the Miami Marlins owners could have known what they know today, I think it is fair to say that this team is absolutely dangerous. Oh, without a doubt, this is one of the best peer rosters that we would have in the League of Baseball today. If you look at their division, if you look back at 2016, 2017, 2018, they would have arguably had a chance to overtake the Nationals during that time span and they could have ended up going to the playoffs during this time. I mean, it's, it, it is pretty close. If I'm not mistaken, I don't know their roster. Uh, what, what was their – does either one of you have your record for 2016 for the Miami Marlins right there? I, finished, I, um, sorry, they finished 79 and 82, third in the East. Third in the East, I knew that, but they only finished – so 
three games under 500. That that you know that's that's not bad. It 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 could be. They you got to mention that they went three games under 500 without Luis Castillo, without Chris Paddock. Um, their pitching rotation was Jose Fernandez, Jose Urania, um, Tom Collier, Wei Yin Chin, and Adam Conley. And Jose Fernandez didn't get to pitch the whole season because he ended up tragically passing away um, uh, later in the year. So. You know, you don't even have a full season of Jose Fernandez. So uh, obviously the team's dealing with grief. They're dealing with stuff uh, such as that. And if I'm not mistaken, that's also the year that Giancarlo Stanton took the fastball in the face. I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure that was the year because he missed a substantial amount of games in this season, looking like roughly about 50. So um, I'd imagine he was at least out with an injury because you're not going to take an outfielder out for 50 days um, for no reason. So um you know, this this team had its ifs, but, you know, what if Jose Fernandez stays with the team? You can only imagine that he stays one of the most dominant pitchers. Um, he was one of the most dominant pitchers at home. I remember at a point, I think he went um, like 16 and one at Miami Park, like Miami Marlins Park. Like he was. Yeah, he was phenomenal. I mean, absolutely lights out and. As Matt mentioned, he's going to be getting into his prime, um, and he's only going to be coming together in 2020. There are a couple of players that have fallen off a little bit. You could argue Justin Bora, Danny Echevarria, not the best, but you can't ask for an all-star at every single position. So I think the argument becomes here, in 2020, is this a sustainable team? Is this a team that you could see sticking together and or is there just certain pieces? What? How? How do you think this is working from a general manager standpoint? I'll start with you, Matt. What? Where do you see this team? Um, where do you see this team growing? Where do you see this team locking down? Because obviously, there's going to be contracts. There's going to be um, everything. You know, that there's so many if ands or buts. But if this roster stays intact throughout 2016 on to 2020, where, who do you see staying? Who do you see going? Um, and what do you see maybe for the path of this team? How do you, do you see one, two, three, maybe maybe sweeping World Series? Like what do, what do you see? Well, it wouldn't be easy to keep this team together simply for the fact that you have a lot of good players in their prime at once and you don't have the strongest payroll. Um, I believe 2012, um, the Marlins had the seventh best payroll in the league. It was over $100 million. And they were able to make signings of players like Jose Reyes. Um, but after that, the their payroll pretty much dropped. And by 2015, they were bottom of the league, uh, around $68 million, I believe. So it wouldn't be easy to keep any of these players together. And there's really no guarantee that they'd stay. Um, but they, had enough, they have enough depth. And I, I think that they could have kept some players together. Um, you have a now 2020, you have a 30 year old Giancarlo Stanton and his contract would have been up. You could extend him, but you he's injury prone, as we all know. Um, strikeout rates are higher than average. So letting Stanton go wouldn't be the worst thing. Um, I would say you focus more on keeping a player like Christian Yelich who's high average and was developing power, as we see now in Milwaukee in present day. Um, and moving, yeah, keeping your money towards him and JT Realmuto, I would say, uh, those would be your two most important pieces. 
Uh, you'd have a 36-year-old Prado who would most likely age out, and we would fill with Brian Anderson, as mentioned. So we wouldn't have to worry about the third base position. Echeverria is 32. Hitting isn't the best. Fielding is still strong. But, you know, he his time could be ending in Miami, um, hypothetically speaking, if we continue with that. Uh, Bohr, Justin Bohr, who's now playing overseas, had a few good seasons power-wise, but ultimately started to falter, at least batting average-wise. Uh, he hit 264 in 2016, but it just went down from there. Um, I would let Bohr go as well. Uh, you had Derek Dietrich on the bench, who's now playing pretty well, I'd say, with uh, the Cincinnati Reds. So he could fill in somewhere on the infield, whether that be first base or shortstop, um, getting rid of Echeverria. Pitching-wise... So that's good. Yeah, I was going to say, so that's good for the lineup. Right now I'm looking at JT Real Muto and Christian Yelich staying with the team. What Of your pitching rotation, what do you keep there? Uh, pitching, I definitely... Uh, you have a... 27-year-old Jose Fernandez, who definitely, that that's definitely the prime age, four-year prime, 27 to 30, around that range. Um, I would hold on to Fernandez for sure and try my best to keep Castillo and Paddock. Uh, they'd still be generally young and might not even hit service time and become a free agent. So, you know, maybe make some arbitration moves and see if you can hold on to them for as long as possible. But um, honestly, the uh, main focus would have to be the bullpen. But we can – What uh, Jamil, what are your thoughts first? Um, the way I see this team is um, the roster, obviously, the way you put it down would still be good. But the way I'm looking at this team is are these players going to be projectable to what they're doing right now? Is Christian Yelich going to hit the way he's hitting in Milwaukee? The way, would he do that in Miami against the likes of Max Scherzer, against the likes of Steven Strasburg, against Noah Syndergaard and the young Braves pitching? Will Marcelo Zuna get better in Miami, or would he hit like the way he hit with St. Louis Cardinals over the past two years? Would Stan stay healthy if he was with the team or not? To me, those are the things you have to look at with this roster is would these players be able to produce the way they're producing in real life right now if they were to stay in Miami in that tough pitching division with these big stadiums like Marlins Park. Yeah, whenever you look at Marlins Park, I actually pulled up the dimensions right here. Um, and if one of you could pull up the dimensions for uh, Miller Park, that'd be great. But right here, I have that right down the left field line. They have a 340 wall. Um, and then in uh, the right field line, it's 335. So only a five foot difference between the two corners, but 340, 335 in the corners. And then their deepest part of center is 420 out in left center field out towards that, uh, what used to be the big flamboyant colorful statue that was out there in center field. That was just an absolute eyesore. Um, but they also have their biggest fence out there in center field, um, which is around what looks like about 11 and a half feet. So, I mean, not only are, if you hit it out in the left center, do you have to get it far, but you have to get it up as well. Um, left field is definitely your best bet. It looks like left field, it's 340, but they also have a short wall at seven foot. So the dimensions are pretty deep. Now, uh, what about uh, what about for Miller Park? Miller Park is definitely a hitter's haven. And you look at a hitter like Christian Yelich that has been able to pull the ball and hit it over the fence in Milwaukee. Right field is only 345 feet. Right center is 374 and center field is 400. Okay, so a little bit 
a, a little bit farther down the line, at least in right field, but definitely more in as you go around the stadium. It looks like they're even in the corners of Miami Park. You're almost hitting 400 um, out in the right center corner. It's 392 out in the left center corner. It's about uh, 390. So it is a deep park. And even whenever you look at the statistics, if I'm not mistaken, I want to say Christian Yelich hit about 20, what was it, 21 home runs in his uh, best season in Miami. Um, I want yes, to say it was, right. it was 21. Um, so the the power was there, and I think you're you're gonna take two. You're gonna take 20 home runs plus the 290 average he had, 290 plus. Um, but you know, as as Jamil mentioned, I mean, you you are shrinking your field size by 20 feet in center. Um, by about 20 feet in the gaps. I mean, you're you're playing in a significantly smaller field, and it's inside the you got the dome, so you don't have the the wind factor. You don't have everything such as that. Yes, Miami has the retractable, but they're not completely inside. You know, you got a little bit of a factor. You have to add it in a little bit. No, nobody's the Rocky Stadium, but you know, a course field. But you know, there's still a little bit of a factor in there. Um, but Miller Park has been notoriously known to be a hitter haven. And I think that it is fair to say that Yelich may not have come to the ability that he would be, that he is today in the MVP candidate, Christian Yelich. But his hitting was still there. Matt Perry, I think I, I think that's arguable. I think that's fair to debate. 20 plus home runs, almost 100 RBIs, about a 300 average. I think you're going to take that in your everyday outfielder. I think. This might be a hot take, but I think Christian Yelich would be a better hitter at Marlins Park than Miller Park. Now, home runs, now now given, we're looking at 2016. He was only 24 years old. You saw the power develop more as he aged. You don't know if the stadium is a direct correlation to that. Now, looking at a 28-year-old Christian Yelich at uh, Marlins Park, he hit 38 doubles in 2016 21 home runs i'm just thinking bigger gaps at marlins park provides more opportunity for doubles triples because he does have a bit of speed as well you know home runs might not hit high 40s like they maybe could at miller park one day but extra base hits i think would be up as a whole and i don't think the average falters i think the average stays the same um, just as good or moving around 300 he had 298 in 2016 you know I think Marlins Park could make him a better hitter in some ways that's an that is by far an interesting take I think is what your your words of putting it hey and back in 2016 the hitting coach for the Miami Marlins Barry Bonds so hey you know there's there is no telling really what could have happened so um, Jamil, what are your thoughts? Uh, is it is it the Miami coaching staff? Is it is it the the, the Brewers coaching staff? What what do you think the Yelich, um, what the Yelich treatment goes towards? I think a big part of it has to do with the talent of pitching you're also facing as well. You go from the NL East, you're facing some of the best pitchers day in and day out. You look at the NL Central, the Pirates' ace right now is who Chris Archer. Is it Jameson Tyon? You look at the Cubs, who's their ace? Is it John Lester? Is it you Darvish? So when you look at those those teams right there, it's just the talent, the pitching talent in the NL East is far superior to the pitching talent in NL Central to me. And to me, that's a big part of it, as well as the coaching staffs. So I don't know what happened when Christian Yelich went to Milwaukee, but clearly something happened. I don't know if their hitting coach tweaked anything in his swing. You know, a little hitch here, a little hitch there can create so much for a baseball hitter. 
So I think it was the change of environment as well as the change in division in the pitching. I think we, we, in, in this hypothetical situation, we'll just take Christian Yelich as he was in Miami. We'll take him. Uh, we can we could probably write him down for about a 300 average at least or, or around. We can knock him down for about 20 home runs and we can knock him down for around 100 RBIs. And I think if you keep that, even if you only keep those statistics um, going into your prime, I'm imagining it's going to get a little bit better, but it's not going to fluctuate too much in Marlins Park. Um, keeping Real Muto at the time, he was a 300 average hitter. He still is to this day. Phenomenal hitter, phenomenal bat, great at defense. Um, and then keeping that pitching staff would be absolutely ridiculous. And I, I, it's a fair point to your to your discretion, Matt Perry, that there would be Luis Castillo and Chris Paddock. These are guys who did not make their debut until later on. They didn't make their debuts in 16. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, Chris Paddock's rookie year was last year. And Castillo came up, I want to say, the year prior? Or was it two years ago? I believe it was the year prior. I, I know he hasn't been in the league too long, but you have to have, what is it, six years of service time before you're even eligible for arbitration? Exactly. And, that, that and, is, so, and, and then once you're eligible for arbitration, I mean, you, I mean, you still have six years of these. And it, in 2016, without making an MLD debut, to be fair, you, you still have Castillo and Paddock. You're, mm-hmm. That pitching staff, it's going to be paying Jose Fernandez, and that's going to be the big problem. Um, especially if you're going to be looking to keep some of these other key pieces, because there's no way Yelich is going to need the bag. Ozuna is going to need the bag. Stanton's going to need the bag. Real Mudo, Jose Fernandez. Those are five key pieces. And you're looking at a max in their time, as mentioned earlier, 118 million to go through their contracts. And is that serviceable to hold them up? Because at the time they weren't at 118 million at 118 million is the highest they've ever hit in their team history. But what are the odds that that's what their money goes towards? I mean, yes, if you keep bringing in, if you keep winning and you keep bringing in more fans, you keep bringing in all this, all that, you continue to win, you're going to bring in more revenue. But are you going to hit above 18, 118 million? Maybe not, because that's the highest they've ever hit. So, I, I think the question is, is this a sustainable dynasty? Is this something that you think that they could have kept going? And if so, what? how big does it get? Does it get any bigger? Is this its peak? What What happens? Matt, I'll start with you. Well, as I mentioned earlier, you're not going to be able to keep everybody. Um, I did suggest in my plan uh, getting rid of Marcelo Zuna and Stanton just due to financial reasons, uh, as well as Stanton being injury-prone, uh, I I suggested uh, paying Yelich that kind of money instead. But, I don't know, this team kind of reminds me a lot of maybe like a 1995 Mariners type, where you have a lot of great players together in one place. It's just not as easy to keep everyone together. Um, if, if this was a team like the Yankees or the Red Sox with very high payrolls, I would say they would be able to deal with this team quite easily. But since it is a team um, known for their low payroll, uh, it wouldn't be so easy to keep them together. So, you know, I could see this team contending and getting somewhere um, into the playoffs. It just it might not be enough. Jamil, I know you mentioned with that, that NL East division, it's a gauntlet. 
Uh, do you see this team contending in the long run whenever you look at it, whenever they look at what pieces they probably could keep and what they couldn't? Is this a team that you see sustainable in the NL East or are they still a, a third or lower kind of team? Um, I think you could see this team flirting with that second wild card spot. You know, this division is so tough. You're going in and you're battling each other. You're knocking each other up. You're knocking each other down. So obviously you have the one division winner. And then with the second wild card spot, I think you're in a battle with the rest of the teams in your division, as well as a team out of the West and a team out of the Central. So I think this team could be formidable. I think they could battle, but I think they would. I think their ceiling would be second wild card area or lower, just because of the gauntlet they're going through, the players you have to get rid of, and if their players are going to stay at their peak performance. And I think it's funny that you mentioned that because I'm pretty sure it was 2016 or 2017 was the year that the Cardinals, the Cubs, and the Pirates had the top three records in the National League. And they were all three in the same division, and they were fighting um, to where the Cardinals took the division, had the best record in baseball, and then Cubs and the Pirates had to fight for that that wild card game. And, I mean, if you look at it in the long run, I mean, to see how the Nationals have come along, to see how the young talent of the Atlanta Braves have come along, um, to see, uh, well, I, I would say hypothetically you'd have to say no to the Phillies because of Real Muto. But, I mean, everybody else, they're going to keep in place. You're still going to have, uh, arguably, every everything else stays the same but the core for the Miami Marlins. So Bryce Harper's still going to be a Philly. Um, Aaron Nola's still going to be on the Phillies. You know, everything's going to be there. Um, the only argument uh, is the New York Mets. And does the New York Mets become the worst team? Because they still have Jacob deGrom. They still have Pete Alonso. They still have Noah Syndergaard. Not this upcoming season, but they do in the long run. I mean, this is, this is still a f- – this is – with this team, I think this is arguably, or actually without a doubt, the best division in baseball. And I think that's fair to say all around. I think this is by far the toughest division. But I don't see, with $118 million, how you can afford Real Muto, Yelich, Ozuna, Stanton, Jose Fernandez, Luis Castillo, and Chris Paddock. And I don't know, not to mention Brian Anderson. I didn't even see him checked off. Um because at the time, you're still going to keep Anderson, Castillo, and Paddock, yes, because of arbitration and service time. But I think when everybody goes and says that this is going to be the dynasty, this is the unstoppable dynasty, what could have been at the Miami Marlins, all this, you know, what there, I don't think this is realistic in any way. I don't, I don't see a point in which the Miami Marlins have a chance to be another World Series contender. And Jamil and I, you, were, you and I were talking, whenever you look at the 03 team, um, that won the World Series, and you go back to it and look at the 04 team afterwards, I mean, they dismantled their team. I mean, they got rid of everybody. I want to say they only had about two everyday starters return. I mean, they absolutely demolished that team from the ground up. And what's to say that they don't win a World Series and do it again? You know, yeah, uh, the Marlins are very volatile as an organization. You know, they've won two championships. They did it both times during the championship. They completely decimated the team. They tried to go for it when they got Jose Reyes. They rebranded the team, got the new stadium. One year later, boom, you're at the bottom of the payroll. So it seems like this franchise goes gets a really, really high high, and they realize what's going on, and they don't want they don't want to pay all this money, and they go, all right, we got it, we got to relax, and they come all the way back down. They have had a history of some owners who have been afraid to throw out the payroll and have been afraid to take on the big contracts. And 
don't get me wrong, as a Cardinal fan myself, I know what it's like to be afraid of taking on the big contract for Goldschmidt just became our highest paid player at only $150 million, um, which, I mean, is no small number, but, I mean, it's not what the bag is being thrown around at other people. You look at people like David Price getting 212. You look at people like Mike Trout just getting 430. I mean, these are contracts that are being absolutely massively paid, and there are teams that just will shy away. And, I mean, even speaking from the Cardinals standpoint, we have the back. We could pay. I mean, the Cardinals are a decent payroll kind of team. But whenever you look at the Miami Marlins at the bottom of the payroll trying to suffice with all of this young talent, I mean, is there any way that any all of this sticks together? And I think it's fair to say that there's no way. And other than maybe one World Series, I mean, I don't know what all you're going to get out of that. And I think that's fair to say. And I think it's time to put an end to the what could have been of the Miami Marlins because there is no way this is sustainable, at least in my opinion. Matt, uh, what, do you, what do you have? I mean, it just takes one. Um, like 97, like 03, they de- they dismantled the team after the fact, but they got what they wanted out of it. They got their ring um, both times. It worked out for them technically. Um, I can't say it's a, they can produce a dynasty. Um, they can't do like a Yankees late 90s thing where you go 96, 98, 99, 2000. They just don't have the payroll for that. So, you know, they, they could be a one-hit one wonder with a World Series. But, you know, the same thing can happen again. You look at this roster, and a lot of these are homegrown guys. Um, just off reading uh, reading this, uh, Stanton, Yelich, Real Muto, three of the best players on this roster, um, not to mention Jose Fernandez, were all homegrown through the Marlins farm system. So, you know, it, it can be said that they can just do it again. Um, you look at 2020 Marlins. Um, they are slowly doing that. Guys like Jazz Chisholm, um, they made a few international pickups with Victor Victor Mesa, Sixto Sanchez. You know, it, it takes time, um, especially for the teams with low payroll, but they, they have the potential to do it. So is um, I'm going to get both your opinions on this. I'm going to start with Jamil. Jamil, uh, or actually I'm going to start with you, Matt, because you're the one who mentioned this. Is one and done the best case scenario for this Miami Marlins team? I would say so. Um, at least financially, uh, I think that's the best they'd be able to get out of this. Um, because, you know, like, like the points you guys have made, eventually these guys are going to want their bag and the Marlins aren't going to have it available for them, maybe for one or two guys, but you're not going to be able to keep the whole band together. And, you know, when push comes to shove, you know, some people are going to have to go and whether that's Stan, whether that's Yelich, you know, some, some people just we don't have money for so we gotta let him go um i do think one and done is would be the best case scenario for them Uh, same with you jamil one and done um yeah i think that would probably be the best case scenario for this Miami marlins team when you look at the amount of players you have to pay when you look at who you're playing against in your division and when you look at all the variables with the players that they would play good or if they wouldn't play good um i think one don't be the best case scenario if you just get one year where everything clicks everything goes the way you want it and other things unexpected if other teams roll. I think that would be the best case scenario is to get your one championship. And then in typical Marlins fashion, you start the cut bait. 
nobody knows exactly how it exactly it would go because we see how it is in 2020. Uh, we even looking at this hypothetical roster, even with all the prospects and everything such as that, even as mentioned, only two remain between Jose Arena and Brian Anderson. So the question still remains what could have been of the Miami Marlins. But I think it's fair to say from these general manager standpoints, uh, all of us uh, potential general managers that are for hire, if you're trying to hit us up, feel free to hit up our business email. But I think it is fair to say that the Miami Marlins at max, maybe you've gotten one World Series, but there is absolutely no way that this is sustainable in such case of a dynasty. And I think that puts an end to all arguments that the Miami Marlins could not have been the most dangerous franchise in the history of baseball. And I think that's fair to say to close that out. So personally, I, I, I couldn't agree with it more. That's always been my argument. I always thought that there was no way that they were going to have the money to do this. And I've seen what the Miami Marlins organization has been able to do whenever they get World Series is that they take out the dog to the backyard and they shoot it and they just start from the ground up. They burn down the whole barn and they try to pick up two by fours and try to rebuild. And, and that's, that's a case for some teams. That's a case for others. Um, it's a different case for others, I should say, but you know, what, what could have been uh, is not, it doesn't matter. We don't live in the past and we know what it is now. And uh, right now I couldn't even tell you the starting second baseman on the Miami Marlins. So Congrats to them. But until we figure out who that guy is, I've been Will Paulson. That's Matthew Perry and that's Jamil King. And we're signing off for GMs for Hire. Appreciate you all listening to the episode. If you're listening to the YouTube version, feel free to comment and leave a debate or leave a topic that you want to see discussed um, below. And we will get to that as soon as possible. Maybe even kind of highlight your comment in the next video. Um, we'll try to put that together. Um, feel free to follow us on Spotify and now Apple Music. We have been officially been approved for Apple Music, so we are on there if you're not the Spotify or the YouTube guy. So feel free to get on there. Feel free to follow us on all, pro, uh, all platforms and feel free to keep hitting the bell notification and listening in every single week. But until next time, we're the GMs for Hire, and thank you all for listening.